Welcome, Gateway Taze Valley. Good to be here, right? What about that? My flesh may fail, but my God, you never will. This is the place we celebrate the fact that that kind of a God wants us to belong to Him and worship Him. And we're glad to do that this morning. I'm glad to do that this morning because I got all cranked up at that announcement video. What about you? Man. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I'm still... <laughs> I don't know what Joy and I, I think we're really impacted by that, by that video. But uh, anyway, we'll get over it, but pay attention to what we said, okay? There was some good stuff to be heard there. Uh, so uh, uh, thank you for staying, even in spite of that video, and uh, joining us in, in the time of sharing and singing and sharing in the Word. This morning we're continuing with our subject of faith that works. We started this a few weeks ago looking at faith from the book of James, all about faith and all about works, and we're going to look at that this morning. But we've looked at faith under trial, we've looked at faith when we're dealing with temptation, and a couple of other topics which takes us today to the second chapter, verses 14 through 16, and we're going to look at a faith that works when it works. That's going to be the subject of this morning. Now, I want to begin by telling you the old story, probably telling you again a story you've already heard, about a guy that was down on his luck. He was a vagrant, really hungry, and he was walking down the street of this city, and he saw this classy restaurant, and he knew it was far too classy for a guy like him. They'd never let him in. And the sign out front said, this place was called St. George and the Dragon. But he was hungry. Even the sign was fancy. The restaurant fancy, the sign was fancy. He was hungry. He knew he couldn't get in. So he walked around the side to the alley in the back, knocked on the door, and this angry old lady answered the door and said, what do you want? And he was kind of surprised by that rude greeting. But he said, after he got his confidence back a little bit, he says, ma'am, I'm just hungry. Would you have any scraps or any leftovers that I might have? And she said, we don't serve bums. And shut the door on his face. Slammed the door on his face. And so he got back out on the road and started walking. He walked by the restaurant again, and, and there it was, St. George and the Dragon. And it, it looked classy. It smelled great, St. George and the Dragon. And he thought, I'm going to try it again. So we went around the side to the alley in the back, knocked on the door, and that same lady answered the door. And she says, I thought I told you to leave. And he said, ma'am, if it's okay, can I please talk to St. George this time? That'll have, I guess that'll have to soak in a little while. It, it had to, for the first service, it had to sink in a long while. But the St. George or the Dragon, sometimes when you hear that, you just have to ask yourself, uh, which, which one am I? Which one am I? And I have to ask myself that same question every time I look at this passage from the book of James, the second chapter, verses 16 through 18, because James is about to tell us here that the only way that faith really works 
It's when that faith is put to work. Listen to what he says. In this section of Scripture, James 2, 14 through 16 says this. What good is it, my brothers? If someone said he has faith but doesn't have works, can that faith save him? Over a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? What good is that? It's certainly no good for that poor, hungry, naked guy that's standing there in need or laying there in need. And that's the point. That's the whole point of what James is saying here. The only faith that works, the only faith that really works is the faith that's put to work. It's certainly the only kind of faith that works for others. I'm thinking, if I were really, really hungry, even to the point of starving, and I was beside that road, and somebody came along that had the means to help me in my hunger, and they said to me, you're in a tough spot. I hope tomorrow's a better day. I'm thinking, I don't care about tomorrow. Tomorrow is not my jam. I need a cheese sandwich. Give me a cheese sandwich. The only faith that's put to work ministers and blesses and works for others. It's the only kind of faith that produces, that gives and provides food, clothing and shelter to those who need it. To those who are not going to have it because of one reason or another, they can't seem to provide it for themselves. Now, I know there's a, an element of our population that needs to go to work to take care of themselves because they're able, because they can. But there are some who just cannot and they will not benefit from my faith unless I do something with it and put it to work. That's one of the reasons, one of the reasons I'm glad to give money to my church, to his church. That's one of the reasons I can tolerate paying my taxes. That's not the highlight of my year. It may not be the highlight of your year, of your year but with a prayer, we give our monies and we, 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 we are expecting that some of that money that we give to our government will flow. and Some of the money that we give to our church will make its way to those who really, really need it in some form. Maybe not in cash, probably not in cash. But in some form, they will receive the benefit from what we give. There's so many needs around us, aren't there? So many. You think about families that are fostering. You think about kids that need a family to foster them. You think about uh, parents and families in the adoptive process. The needs of our widows. The needs of our homeless and hungry and marginalized and depressed. Those who are bereaved. Those who are sick. Those who are lonely. They all need our help. And then you have the poor. The poor. Those who are just outright, downright poor. I love the fact that we belong to a church that cares about the needs of people. You look at our missions or our, our vision. Our church vision is uh, to love God, to love people, and to serve. And many of the people that we serve are poor. They have to be, according to Abraham Lincoln, who said God must really love poor people 
because he made so many of them. They're all around us. They're all around us. So this idea of loving God and loving people and meeting needs, that's what our faith is all about. It's, what it, it's all about. That. And that may be true. What Lincoln said may be true that God loves poor people. But I say thank you for loving them. Thank you for caring about those who are less blessed than you are. Thank you for that. And not only for caring for those that are around here, but those that are around the world. Thank you. But now, that being said, all that we do through our church family and all the benevolence that comes from our government in no way relieves me of my personal responsibility to put my own personal faith into action because that's the only way that faith works is when it's put to work. And I can tell you that's the only way it works for others is when I put it to work. But it's also the only kind of faith that works for ourselves. Listen to what James writes in the second chapter in verse 17. This is what it says. So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Now this Greek word that we see as dead it actually means a corpse. It's the same word for a corpse. And we know that when we separate the body from the spirit, we wind up with a corpse. And James is saying if you separate works and faith... You're going to wind up with a corpse. Now let me ask you an honest question. It's a dead faith. It's a useless faith. So let me ask you an easy question. What do dead people do? Exactly. They do nothing. What does dead faith do? Nothing. It does nothing. James 2 verse 18 says this. Someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your, your faith apart from your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. James is saying a living, active, productive faith will be obvious. It'll be obvious. It'll be visible. And Jesus said the same thing in a different way in, uh, in Matthew 7, verses 15 through 16. And this is what he says. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous or ferocious wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. By their fruits, we know something about the inside because of what we see on the outside. Now, this morning, I know it's spring break. I know schools are out. But you get to take a quiz. Now, don't be nervous. It's okay. It's not going to be graded. But we're going to take a quiz this morning. I'm going to show you a tree. And you'll tell me what kind of a tree that is. I'm confident you can do this. Let's take a look at the first one. This is my favorite tree. My favorite tree of all kinds. And everybody says together, this is a, this is a, okay, we'll make it a little easier for you. We're going to make one of those things a little bigger. Let's take another look. Okay, there it is. What do you know? It's the Ranson family tree. It doesn't get any better than that. The Ranson family tree. I kind of understand you not getting it. I get that instantly. But this one, we're going to make it a little easier, okay? Let's take a look at another one here. You see this. What kind of a tree is that? 
That's a peach tree. It might be a little fuzzy, a little fuzzy, but that's a peach tree. Let's try it again. What is this? What kind of a tree is this? It's a lemon tree. How do we know that's a lemon tree? It's got lemons. There's fruit on that thing. One more. Let's see if you can do this. See if you can do it again. What's this? You guys are so much. Anybody from the first service here? Oh, no. You guys, let me just say, you all did great with that quiz. I'll just say it that way. But we know about, we know, we can see, look at the fruit. We can look at the outside. We can look at the behavior. We can look at the work or what that work produces. And we know something about the inside. We know something about the inside. That's what Jesus is saying. If you look at their fruits, you'll know something about what's going on on the inside. And then he tells another parable about this. This is a great parable. In Luke 13, verses 6 through 9, we see this parable that Jesus writes about fruit and bearing fruit. A man who had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, look, for three years now I've been coming and seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered them, this is the vine dresser, says to the owner, he says, sir, let it alone this year also, and I'll dig around it, and I'll put on some manure, and then if it should bear fruit next year, great, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. Now, what about that? Why do you suppose this landowner, the guy who planted this fig tree, wanted to cut it down? Because it didn't bear fruit. One day, he was expecting planting this tree. One day, this thing would bear and produce figs. And he would be able to take those figs, and he would enjoy them. His family would enjoy them. The others and uh, his friends would, would share them. Uh, but it wasn't productive. And so he was, his intention was to cut it down. And the whole, this is the whole expectation of the faith that James is talking about. Our faith should come with expectation, expectation that we will not just keep it for ourselves. But then we will use that faith to reach and touch others. It makes a difference not only for others, but it also helps us. And it becomes something we share, the faith that we have shared. We, we share it by the things we say, the things we do, the things that we do for others that have a way also of coming back and doing things for us. And I'm still learning that. How obeying and actually doing what God tells me to do when he tells me to care for others and, and people in need. It's not just for their good, but it also helps me. It helps me, drives deeper into my heart, into my faith, what truly matters to God. It helps me in that way. Look at what Jesus said in the 8th chapter of John, verses 31 and 32. If you continue to follow my teaching, you really are my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Notice the qualifier in this conditional statement is obedience. If we follow, if we continue to follow not just a desire to know and to, to read or to know what's in the book, but Jesus predicates the knowing. He predicates that on the doing. If you follow my teaching, then you 
will more perfectly know. You see, our spiritual awareness or our spiritual perception is directly tied to our practicing of the commands of Christ. So if you want to understand the Bible, obey it. Do what it says. And if you don't understand it, so many people don't understand it, it might be because we're not willing to put to work what little bit we do understand. You see, the Bible in some ways, and I say this, I say this with heartfelt respect, the Bible in some ways is not so much a book of philosophy as it is writings about auto mechanics. Sometimes you just need to pick up a wrench, put a wrench in your hand, and get to work. Do something with it. It's to be used. It's to be, you, we work with it. And it's most often in the practicing of these Christian principles that our understanding about certain Bible passages come into focus. We can understand them more clearly when we begin to do them, even though we don't fully understand. Let me give you an example. One of the last commands we have in the Old Testament comes from Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, where God through the prophet Malachi says this, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house, food that would not only be shared with the priests, but given also shared with the poor. And then he goes on, bring the full tithe into, the, into, the, into, the, uh, into my house, into the storehouse, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. See if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more. Now, do you know who understands this verse better than anybody else? The one who puts this into practice and does what this command says. That's the way it works. And I love the way that we see this happening over and over again in the New Testament. You take a look at how this unfolds. Acts 2. We see this command actually being lived out. Acts 2, 44 and 45. And all who believed were together and had all things uh, in common, as they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. A couple of chapters later, we see it continuing in Acts 4, 34 through 35. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. They were bringing their savings. They were selling their property. They were bringing the profits. They were bringing all, bringing all this stuff, bringing food, no doubt. And so much so, I mean, certainly bringing food, and we know that, because they were bringing all of this stuff in to, to make sure there was no needy among them. So much so that in the sixth chapter uh, of Acts, we find the church appointing uh, seven men to oversee the distribution of the food just in the church in Jerusalem. And I love the way this section is summarized. It's a great single verse summary of all this generosity, all this happening. Verse 7 of Acts 6 says this. And the word of the Lord, or the word of God rather, continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And here's the, the amazing part. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. That's a new revelation to me. I had never picked up on that before. Here these priests' job, it was their job to teach uh, the, the, the Israelite family 
the truths of the law, the, the commands of the law, including Malachi 3.10, to bring into the storehouse all of these, all of these uh, first fruits that the store's house may be full, that God's house might be full. And, and the priest's job was to teach that. But here's the church that's doing it, and doing a fabulous job. And so the priest's minds were drawn to the church that had learned the same thing. But where the church learned it, how would they learn it? They learned it through obedience, not simply by reading it or believing it, locking it in, but by doing it. And so much of God's Word can be learned that way, better than any other way. And the more it dawns on me that sometimes we learn better when we start doing, we, we, don't learn, we don't know as much, we learn as we do, and the more that dawns on me, it's kind of like, wow, I could have had a Diet Pepsi. Or V8. I, I, I could have done that. James goes on in verse 19. He says, you believe that God is one, you do well. Good for you. You're doing all right. Good for you. You believe. But get this, he says, even the demons believe and shudder. The demons believe and react. So many people seem to acknowledge Christ or seem to acknowledge that they have faith or that there is a God I believe, you know, I, I said that prayer, or I asked God into my heart, God and I are good. I don't need to change anything, I don't need to do anything. You know, I, I don't need to serve, I don't need to give, I don't need to, to, to work, I don't, I don't, I don't need the, the, the church piece of that. You know, God and I are good, He's got me, uh, and, 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 and it's all good. There, there seems to be no response, no reaction, no, no life there. The demons believe, and they have a response. They shudder. James says they shudder. And the picture we get is they are so concerned, so fearful, because you see the demons, they know God. They know about Him. They know what he's done. The demons know what God is going to do, and they shudder. And the picture of this is the hair is standing straight up on their heads. Now, we can picture demons in their little tight red suits and the uh, pitchfork, but not at all. They look like punk rockers <laughs> right out of London. <laughs> kind of kidding about that. Uh, demons are <clears throat> spiritual beings. This is a metaphor. Spiritual beings, they don't have hair, but, but you kind of you get the, the picture here. They've got faith, and they react. How can we not have a response? If we really believe, if our faith is alive, if our faith is making a difference, how can we not have some kind of a response? For all the good it does them, they have faith. They don't do anything that God wants done. They, don't, they have faith, but they never put their faith to work. And that's why their faith doesn't work. Honey, can I get a little sip? I'm going to announce or get my... <clears throat> going to get my announcement video partner to help me out. Oh, she fixes a fine glass of water. That girl does. <clears throat> All right. Uh, but it, 
that, that's why their faith doesn't work. Because they don't put their faith to work. That's the only kind of faith that's going to work. Is the faith that we put to work. It's the only kind of faith that works for others. It's the only kind of faith that works for ourselves. But here's, here's the, the important thing. It's the only kind of faith. Our Father which art in heaven finds acceptable as well. And then James gives us two Old Testament examples of faith and works together exalting God. The first is Abraham, and he gives us this in the second chapter, verses 20 through 23. And he says, Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? He says, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see, that faith was active along with his works. His faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God. And it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. How incredible is that? How incredible is that? You read about this, this uh, display of faith in Genesis 22 when God tested Abraham regarding his son Isaac. And he asked him to do this over-the-top thing that God was never going to allow him to do. But Abraham's faith was authenticated at that moment. And God, God knew, as, as he did beforehand, that Abraham's faith was solid and active and life-changing and clearly displayed by what Abraham was willing to do. And James says then in verse 24, following this Abraham story, he says in verse 24, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Now, as soon as I read that, or as soon as... You hear that. There are people that get nervous when that's read because that sounds so different than what Paul was writing in some of his uh, teachings about faith and works and how they fit or don't fit together. Just what, what this is all about. But the, on a high level, we'll just simplify that real, real quickly from a high level. Paul was teaching how to be saved. James is writing to Christians, telling them how to behave now that they are saved. So hang on to this, that James is saying, biblical message, faith without works is dead. Is dead. It doesn't work. It doesn't serve anybody. It doesn't serve others. It doesn't serve ourselves. And it doesn't serve the purposes of our Heavenly Father. Uh, it doesn't serve His purposes either. And then after, after He says this, He goes on to that second example that we mentioned real quickly. Verse 25 of James 2. He says, In the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? Now you may not be as familiar with Rahab as you are Abraham, but uh, Rahab is the one that offered or that, that had the, the full service roadhouse in Jericho. And the spies went in to check out Jericho, and the king of Jericho heard about that, and he wanted to get these spies. He, he could not allow these spies to get back to, to the Hebrew uh, uh, 
leaders. And so he was after them. And here is Rahab, who had heard about the Hebrew God. She knew about the miracles that he had performed as they were wandering in. The, the amazing miracles that God performed, that God performed while they were wandering in the wilderness. And she had this budding, maybe infantile or babies, baby step faith that their God was the only God. And as a step of her baby faith, she protected these two spies at the risk of her own life. This was treason, you know. This was treason. But she protected them with her infantile faith. She reached out and met the needs of someone else. And so God has included her in his exalted hall of faith. How about that? You can read about this in, in Joshua 2 if you want to see more about that. But both of these displays, Abraham and Rahab, both of these uh, people of faith got honored in the Old Testament because they had a faith that was put to work. Their faith was put to work. A faith that no doubt helped others. It helped themselves. But it also, like us, we end up working to serve the purposes of God. And in the process, we become a part of God's plan to save the world. To save the world. We, we want to close this morning by recognizing that this is Palm Sunday. Churches all around the world are today remembering the entry of Christ into Jerusalem as he begins that last week before the crucifixion. And we can just picture him, can't we, coming in, and here's this, this massive group of people placing down their coats, and they're waving palm branches, and they're singing their hosannas, and we can see it, and we can read it, because in Matthew 29, or 21 rather, Matthew 21 verse 9, we have it written for us. The crowds that went before him, and that followed him, they were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And can't you just see them? Can't you just hear them? And these people, many of these people that were singing and celebrating and Hosanna were poor. But all of them were impoverished because all of them were still looking to the animal sacrifice, those annual sacrifices to roll away uh, their, their sins to, to lead to their forgiveness of sins. And we know Jesus uh, came because the blood of bulls and goats was never going to be enough. There had to be a perfect sacrifice. And he comes riding on a donkey. Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise team, if you'd like to come on up, we're going to wrap this up very, very quickly. That's why Jesus came. He came to die on a cross for the sins of these poor, impoverished people that were lining the streets. And he came because I was impoverished too. And so were you. And he came stepping out in faith. He came to do something about our need. And uh, he took our needs. He took our sins to the cross. Will you pray with me please? God, thank you that you love us with a, uh, an incredible love, a love that we can never fully express or understand. But Lord, one day 
we will stand in your presence and probably want to hug you with all we are worth to thank you for considering us worth the sacrifice of your son that gave us the privilege, that gave us the grace, extended your mercy that we could be in your presence. But Lord, help us not to use that gift for ourselves, only for ourselves, but that out of our gratitude and out of our faith, may, may we allow you to live through us and to meet the needs of those around us by allowing our faith, asking our faith to bear fruit. Lord, we thank you for the cross. We thank you for the resurrection. We thank you for your invitation. And even now, Lord, we pray that you might give us the strength to draw closer to you in ways that we never have. Move us that we might touch others. In Christ's name, we pray. Amen. This morning, if you want to talk about the next step of your faith, whether that's simply ask for prayer, you want someone to pray with you, pray for you, pray for a loved one, if you want to talk about what's this, what's this repentance all about, t tell me more about baptism. Uh, if you have any questions, anything on your heart this morning, I'll be over here uh, to your left. If you want to come and talk with me, I'd be glad to spend time with you today. Uh, would you consider that as we stand together and we sing our final song?